you so much for tuning into the Move Church Forward podcast with Nick Newman. I'm your host, Nick Newman, and we are so excited that you joined us today. Today, I want to talk to you from the topic of uh, being spread too thin. As ministry leaders, from time to time, we are pulled in multiple different directions. It's almost like there are seasons in our church where when you come into your office, you're less productive than if you were to just stay away from it. And it's like over and over and over again, you're being pulled in multiple different directions. Everyone is fighting for your attention. Your to-do list is getting to be a mile high, and there's nothing that you feel like you can do about it. Now, we are church leaders, and the good news for us is that God's Word actually gives us insight on how we can overcome that. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, uh, there's a story of the apostles who are being overwhelmed because there's some people who feel like they're not being taken care of, and now they're having to step in and handle the disputes at the food pantry. And so the apostles look at them and say, hey, our role and responsibility is to focus on the teaching and the preparation of God's Word, to spend time praying and to spend time preparing, not being involved in the little details of the food pantry. Come on, if you're a pastor or a ministry leader, you know sometimes you get pulled into things. And it's not that it's not our job, because as ministry leaders, when we oversee uh, an entire organization, really everything is our job. I mean, it might not be in your title, but it's in the proximity of your influence. So it's always a part of your job. But you've delegated responsibility or you've put a leader in place, and now somehow it's back in your plate. So what they do are the five things that I'm going to give you today. And uh, you can go back to Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Read it on your own time. But I would encourage you to share this with your team as well. I think it's a really helpful tool in not just being spread too thin and overcoming that, but really setting your uh, organization up for health. So the first thing that they do is that they recognize the issue and commit to finding a solution. And that happens in verse 2. Now, when they recognized the problem, the problem was that they were being pulled in many different directions. They were being bombarded with tasks, while their most important thing for them to do was actually spend time with God to pray and prep. Pastor, uh, I've been doing ministry for uh, 10 years now, uh, well, over a decade, and I can tell you typically the first thing that goes in those busy seasons is sermon prep time. And that can't be the case. It's one of the most important things that we do for the organization. So they recognize the problem, but what they don't do is sit around and complain about it. That's our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to complain about how things are going or what's going wrong or what could be done better. But instead, these leaders make the decision to devote themselves to finding a solution to the problem. And so let me encourage you with this. Trying a new solution will always get you further than complaining about the problem. I would rather us try than us sit and complain. Well, it might not work. Well, yeah, but it probably isn't working now. 
So try something new. Make some shifts. Don't just talk about the problem. Realize that as a ministry leader, your primary role sometimes is just to be a problem solver. And you get to do that. It's a privilege. So recognize the issue and commit to finding a solution. The next thing that they do is they involve the team in the shift. And that's verse 3. So involve your team in the shift. Uh, I like the way that the text says that they propose this idea of putting new leaders in place and finding the right kind of people. Um, But after they do that, everyone thought it was a good idea. Uh, Sometimes you're going to present something to your team and not everybody's going to think it's a good idea, right? And that's, that's where the value of team comes into play. When you invite your team into the decision-making process to tweak something that doesn't work, Number one, they get a higher level of ownership of it because people are more inclined to carry out what they were a part of. Uh, But two, it makes them feel like they're a part of the team and that you value and respect what they have to say. The beauty of a team is that we are better together. So your idea for the tweak may not be perfected, but when your team gets around the table, they can sharpen the idea that you're bringing, and it really does make a difference. Because right now, what we have to understand is that where we sit determines what we see. So the perspective and the vantage point that we have of a particular problem is all based on where we're positioned at in the organization. So where you sit determines what you see, which means sometimes we get frustrated because no one else sees what we see, but they're not positioned where we're at. So you have the ability when you bring them into uh, the shift to involve them, to give them an idea of your vantage point. And then they can see what's most pressing for you and respond to it accordingly. So they've recognized that there's an issue. They commit to finding a solution. He's inviting people into the problem solving of this. And then the third thing that they do is they find the right people. They select the right people. And when they are having this conversation in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, what they talk about is that there's a guy by the name of Stephen Stephen is uh, well-respected, he's full of the Spirit, and he is wise. Those are really the benchmarks that we need to look for, um, for the leaders that we're bringing into this sphere. But, you know, what's funny, and uh, I shared this with our team the other night, um, sometimes in ministry, we put the right leader in place, and then something happens, And they end up not being there for a long period of time. So they put Stephen in in Acts chapter 6. And then in the next couple of chapters, Stephen ends up dying. So they're they're somewhat back in the same problem that they had before. So just because you put a ministry leader in place doesn't mean that they're never going to move out of that position. Uh, This cycle that we're talking about of recognizing the problem, involving the team in the solution, finding the right people is going to be something that you repeat over and over and over again because this thing that we do in ministry is all a journey. And so when you select the right people, the three metrics that they gave uh, were respected, full of the spirit, and wise. And so first and foremost, uh, I think when you look at a respected person, you want to gauge their public perception. Uh, 
Like, what do the people in your organization think about this person? Do they feel like they're cold, distant? Do they feel like they're aggressive and abrasive? If they rub your leaders the wrong way, here's the thing. No one's going to want to follow a leader that doesn't have great public perception. And sometimes their public perception in the church is is uh, just as important as their public perception in your community because God's called you to reach people who are outside of your church. And so if they're living one way outside the church but then serving wholeheartedly in the church, you're going to have a disconnect with public perception. You want to find respected people. The second thing is that they're full of the Spirit. And this has to do with private devotion. Are they actually growing in their faith? Are they spending time with Jesus? Are they being developed? And one of the key metrics for that is that you're having discipleship-oriented conversations with them, and you can tangibly see growth. So when they talk about struggling with pride, you're having conversations about humility, and you're seeing them walk in it. It doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. If you're looking for a perfect leader, you're going to be looking for a long time, right? Because they just don't exist. But look for people who have a healthy, private devotion with Jesus. Are they spending time in God's Word? Are they praying? When you're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting, are they showing up? Like, are they there? Are they committed? Are they actually fasting something that's, like, sacrificial? You know, I'm not saying, like, giving up TV is not sacrificial, but are they sacrificing Are they really chasing after the things of God? And then the third thing is that they're wise. So they need to be respected, full of the Spirit, and have wisdom. Uh, When we look at wise leaders, I'm looking for a leader who's grounded. James says that a double-minded leader is unstable in all their ways. And that I think sometimes uh, leaders who lack wisdom don't have the ability to discern storms. They end up being pushed around by the wind and the waves and everything that's happening. And you need to look for people who are grounded. So who are those people who have navigated uh, church hardships with you for a couple seasons? Who are the people who, like, made it through COVID and didn't go crazy, right? That's a good metric at this point because some of that is that they're grounded, that they're not like your grandma's biscuits. They ain't flaky. You know, like, are they grounded? The fourth thing that they do is that they pass responsibility. So once they find the right people, they actually give them things to do. And this is important because if you never release, you'll never give away responsibility. You're going to have to be willing to let go. But delegating is not the same as abdicating. Delegation is actually where you and I give someone something, but it's not that it comes off of our plate. It's that we step into an overseer role for whatever we gave them. So give them responsibility. Give them tasks to do. Give them people to manage. But don't just abandon them and leave them. That's what abdicating is. I call it the delegating dump. It's where you find the thing that you don't want to do anymore and you find the person who can do it and you just give it to them and you 
never touch it again. Well, here's the thing. Eight months, a year from now, you're going to have to pick it back up because that leader is not going to be set up for success. So the greatest thing you can do with delegation is run alongside the person. Think about it almost like a, a baton pass. Uh, they run those relay races, and the transition from one person to the next is only doable when both runners are running forward. That's how delegation needs to work. We are moving in the same direction, and as you speed up, I slow down, and the baton passes accordingly. And then I'm going to stand there and watch you run the race because at the end, we're still on the same team, and we're better together. So delegation is important. Passing responsibility matters. And know this, that delegation always Always, 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 always requires more time on the front end, but it's worth it on the back. Most of the time, leaders feel like, I can't do this. I can't delegate. I don't have time. You can't afford to not delegate because if if next season requires more of you, you don't have any more to give. And God's miracles manifest in the margins. So we need to delegate so that we have the ability to increase whatever God has for us next. And as we delegate, it's going to take more time. But I like to look at delegation as just bringing people with me to do what I'm already doing. And at some point, they'll be the ones that do it. So don't look at it as this big, long, uh, overwhelming task. If I'm going to go ahead and do something, ministry shouldn't be done alone. Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs, right? So bring somebody along the journey with you. A good example of that is uh, just a couple weeks ago, I had to do an intervention. Had to. I got to. It was a privilege. Come on, that's culture. Um, But got to do an intervention uh, for a young man. And instead of doing it by myself, I brought two of our staff guys with me because I was already going to be doing it. And they need to learn how to navigate those. And it was a situation none of us had walked in before, but that's why we're in leadership. Is that sometimes we get to pioneer and, and blaze the trail for other people. So just bring people onto the journey of what you're already doing. And here's the last thing. Continue on with the mission. I love verse 7 of Acts chapter 6 because it says, and because of that, the numbers continued to multiply and grow daily. I believe that an unwillingness to delegate is actually what will kill off the growth in your organization. But if you choose to recognize issues, commit to solving the problem, involve your team in the shift, select the right people, and begin to pass responsibility, the mission will continue, your numbers will grow, and you won't be spread too thin. You'll be fulfilled because you're living out the purpose that God has for you as a ministry leader, which is to equip the saints for ministry. And this process that we talked about today, those five things, will happen over and over and over and over again. Remember, this is not a problem to be solved. It's a tension to be managed. And in ministry, you and I get to do this for a long time. What a privilege and an honor it is 
to be used by God to train and equip his people. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's message from the Move Church Forward podcast. I'm your host, Nick Newman, and it's been great hanging out with you. If you would do us a favor, share this message, like, subscribe, uh, tweet about it. I think Twitter's dead, but no problem. You can send out a tweet if you'd like.